0: All right, let's get rolling here. Today's an exciting day. You know why? Yeah, I don't don't know. Is it now? There it is. Today is an exciting day because it's Sunday, and you're all here, and that's a beautiful thing. All right, we'll see you next week. (laughs) I want to ask you a question. Think hard about this. Can a person be convinced of love with words alone? Don't answer out loud yet. Can a person can be convinced of love with words alone without ever demonstrating tangibly with meaningful evidence, would you be content in love that is only ever expressed in words? Now you can answer. I think if we're honest, and we need to be honest with ourselves when we're thinking about these kinds of things, we would struggle to accept that kind of love, and we would probably struggle to remain in that love or, or, or reciprocate that kind of love. If someone told you every single day, I love you, I love you, I love you, and yet they never did anything to show that kind of love, what do you think the health of that relationship looks like? What's the authenticity of the love that they claim? Reality is that love is most clearly demonstrated in action. Without, without action, word or love is just an idea, right? Ideas don't really get us to where we want to go in life. It's the application of those ideas. Ideas are great, but until you put it into practice and do something with it, it's kind of useless. Love is most meaningfully expressed through our actions. That's what matters. So I want to ask you again one more question. Are you in danger today of being in a relationship that claims love but lacks the full expression of that love? Don't answer out loud. So our passage today, as we close our series through John's Gospel, looks at love and its manifestation through action. Because the expression of Christian love, the expression of Christian love is seen through action. It is action. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's go to the Word of God. Flip open to your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Can you believe we're we're closing this thing up today? We started the first week of January in John 1.1, and we have progressed through this. Now we come to the close. The last 11 verses... So we're in John 21. We're picking up in verse 15. And you can follow along with me in your Bible or on the screen. And when they had finished breakfast, Simon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad. Among the brothers that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the way in which you love us and the fact that you you loved us first. As we look to your word this morning, I pray, God, that you would show us, God, just reveal to us a little bit more the kind of love that you have for us the way in which you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, for us, the way in which you never leave us, you never forsake us, you equip us for the work of ministry. God, we're so grateful that you love us in that way because we need every bit of it to continue to put one foot in front of the other as we follow you. So thank you for this morning and for this journey through the gospel according to John, and the truth that it contains. We ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have questions this morning, you can text them to that number, and then Sam and I are actually going to come up at the end of the service and, and, and hopefully answer those questions for you. So interact with us through that number. That number is also in the digital bulletin, pillaroceanside.com, so if you lose sight of it up here, it's uh, it's found there as well. If you hear last week, you might remember that I mentioned the idea of this charcoal fire playing a a really critical role in this week's message. Um, And we see that right out the gate in verses 15 through 17. So what is significant about this charcoal fire, you may be asking yourself. Some of you may already know. You've put the pieces together or you've studied this before. There's only one other place in the Gospel of John where there is mention of a charcoal fire, and it is in chapter 18. You don't have to go there, but let me give you a brief recap. So Jesus had just been arrested. He's being taken to the high priest, and Peter is following at a distance. He comes up to the gate. He's let into the gate, and he's in the courtyard now of the high priest. Jesus is over there being questioned. Peter is around a charcoal fire, warming himself with the Roman guards who had just arrested him. And they begin to interact with Peter. And he's questioned. You hey, you you're with that guy, right? You're, you're one of those Jesus followers, aren't you? Until so you see, the last time that Peter was asked a question about Jesus in the presence of a charcoal fire, he denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Three times. What do you think some of the reasons are that in that moment, Peter chose to deny knowing Jesus? What do we think? Fear. Fear. What else? Come on. Doubt. Doubt. Embarrassment. Shame. Lack of understanding. Discomfort, maybe. A lot of different things that he could have been using as a reason, can we blame Peter for responding this way? Can anybody relate to Peter in this situation? Perhaps you've been around a bunch of non-believers, right? And, And there you are just sort of trying to blend in for whatever reason. Maybe you didn't flat out deny Jesus, but it was evident through your actions that you weren't really interested in being directly associated with him. Anyone? I'll raise my hand. Yeah. Why? Why did we respond that way? I would argue for a lot of the same reasons we just listed for Peter's action. And maybe even some other ones. Maybe you feared losing a relationship Or there's a job promotion opportunity and you didn't want to perhaps put yourself in in a category that disqualified you. Maybe your boss is hostile to the gospel and you're like, oh, I can't identify myself with that. I might lose the promotion. There's a variety of reasons why we may respond that way. Maybe in your circles, people are really hard on Christians and it's just easier to remain silent instead of dealing with their noise. Whatever the reason, each of us has or will likely be in a similar situation. And so we need to look at this passage this morning and hold on to some things. Because what we see Jesus doing here is exposing Peter's heart by revealing to him the object of his love. Jesus is exposing Peter's heart by showing him what actually Is the reason, the motivation for his actions and his love. Think about pre crucifixion now. The things that filled the hole in Peter's heart were comfort and self preservation. Comfort and self preservation. We can see that based on his actions. He denied knowing Jesus, right? Because he was fearful, shameful, all these other things that we had listed out. In that moment, those things, comfort, self-preservation, just being disassociated with, associated with Jesus, those things were more important to Peter than anything else. They were the object of his love. He loved his own life more than he loved Jesus and following him. Now that may sound harsh, but it's true. That's what motivates us to act these kinds of ways. What is the object of our love? Remember, regardless of what Jesus taught, regardless of what Peter saw in that three year period, he walked with Jesus, even in spite of the fact that that Peter himself stood up and said, no, Lord, I will die for you, like I'm ready to go and do this. In the face of all of that, Peter's heart was in love with himself and his own comfort in that moment. That's why this interaction between Peter and Jesus is so powerful. Because we see a restoration of Peter and a reorientation of his love. That's that's what we see in this first section here. It's a restoration through a reorientation of his love. Three times Jesus asked Peter the same question, didn't he? Do you love me? Once for each of the three times that he denied knowing him around that charcoal fire. And in each of his responses, you see that it's clear. Yes, Peter really does love him. Look at his response. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know everything. You know that I love you. See, the object of Peter's love had changed. Jesus is now the reason and the source of his love. And we see that based on his actions moving forward. If you go on to read throughout the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, you're gonna see Peter as the main thrust of the church getting started in the beginning. He's preaching the gospel with boldness. He's being arrested. He's being threatened. He's not hiding. He's not denying. So it's evident through his actions that That something has changed in him, and I I would argue that that something is the object of his love, his motivation, is now Christ. Now this is important for us to take notice of, because a call to follow Jesus in any capacity comes out of love. The love of Christ, and the love for Christ. So let's talk about love just briefly. This foundational love that we have in us. It does not begin with us. It's not about us necessarily. Real quickly, you can go and look at 1 John 4.10. This is describing that God is love. It says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. You see, Not that we loved him, but he loved us. The source of that love we have for him is his love. Go to the next one, verse 19 of the same chapter. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Let me build on that a little bit. Our love for God isn't just a result of his love. It is. We just read that. We love because he first loved us, but it's not just a result of his love, it's also a response to his love. And we see that in this restoration moment for Peter. The proper response to Jesus' love is action. That's why immediately after grounding Peter's discipleship with love for Jesus, he turns around and demands action. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Then do something. You see the response there? The expression of Christian love is action. Now listen, sometimes we get it wrong. We, we mess it up. We miss opportunities. It's like James says. If somebody comes up to you and they express to you that they're hungry and they're tired and they need clothes and you just say, oh, bless you, go and be warm and and be filled. James says, what good is that? What are you doing? (laughs) You're completely missing the point because all of that is empty words. It's meaningless. So have you failed perhaps in your following of Jesus? Maybe even ways you think are unforgivable. We look at Peter's example. I mean, it seems pretty extreme to deny Jesus three times. Like, that's that's pretty extreme. But perhaps there's other ways in which we've fallen short. We've messed up in following after him, in demonstrating our passion and commitment to him through love for others. So what do we see in this restoration? What does this passage teach us? It teaches us that Jesus sees us. He knows us. He loves us. He restores us. My friends, he loves us in ways that we cannot fully understand. But we don't need to fully understand in order to respond to his love. It's like, oh, let me figure all this out before I do anything. Let me just know exactly how much Jesus loves me, and then I'll go and do something with it. No. We just need to accept his love And express our love for him in action. Jesus said to all of us, his disciples, and to us, if you love me, you will keep what? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The expression of Christian love is action. We're not meant to be on the sidelines of our own faith, just observing. The love of Christ has restored us, has it not? made us whole, and it compels us to action. You feel with me so far? Okay, that's what we see in the first half. Now, you can go deep into like the way this is worded. A lot of theologians, scholars will spend a lot of time unpacking. Why does Jesus change the words between that he uses for love? In, in the original language, the, the, the words are shifted around. Why does he say lambs and then sheep and... We're not getting into all that. If you want to go study it out, by all means. I don't think it has enough weight for us to really dive into that. I think the important fact for us to see is that proper expression of our love for Jesus is action. It's doing something. Okay, so the other important principle that John lays out for us in these verses is that the mission God invites us into is specific and it's personal. Last week, we spent time unpacking the idea that God invites us into the mission of being fishers of men. We spent a lot of time talking about that, being out among the lost, exposing them to the love of Jesus, discipling them into a relationship. We call that spiritual multiplication. It's the Great Commission. Every single one of us has been invited into that role. Would you agree? If you call yourself a believer this morning, that applies to you. However... There's also an element of his calling that is specific and personal for each of you. In verses 18 to 23, we see Jesus is making that very point to Peter. So we're going to label this section. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Stay in your lane. Okay? Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Stay in your lane. Now, keep in mind, again, I'm going to re-emphasize this. This is laid over the broader context of the Great Commission. Every one of us is called to make disciples, to go out among the lost and be ambassadors for Christ. That's the setting, the foundation. Now we're just going to narrow the vision just a little bit because he's called each of you specifically in walking out that commandment. So in verse 18, uh, Jesus tells Peter essentially how he's going to die. But when you are old, you're going to stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this in verse 19 is to show by which kind of what? By which kind of death you are going to glorify God. What does that sound like? Somebody's going to carry you where you don't want to go, and you're going to have outstretched arms. What kind of death does that sound like? A crucifixion. A crucifixion. So this is what Jesus is telling Peter. You are going to die in this manner. And it's not going to be good. It's not going to be where you want to go. But what's the point of it again? What is it reason for that? Follow me. There's an element of obedience. Yes. I'm trying to find it. Sorry. To glorify, glorify God. God. That's the whole point. To bring glory to God. Peter, you're going to go where you don't want to go. You're going to be carried there. You're going to hang on a cross. Where you're going to die, and the reason for that is to bring me glory. Wow. Could you could you imagine being told something like that? That's that's nuts. But notice Peter doesn't try to change Jesus' mind or talk him out of it, does he? He looks over at John and basically goes, well, what about him? What's the story with him? Maybe that's just Peter's response, how he deals with the fact that he's just been told he's going to be crucified. He's like, "Uh, okay, well, what about that guy over there? I'm going to face a horrific death. John? I mean, what would your response be to something like that? Who knows? But Jesus' answer is the point of this particular section in verse 22. Peter, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What does that sound like? Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Stay in your lane. I've got a plan for you. I've got a specific call for you. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying. Jesus is telling Peter and us he's got a plan for our lives in this journey of following him. Do you realize that you have a role to play in God's kingdom? If you do, find it and passionately pursue it. Find that role and passionately pursue it. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to sound like a broken record. We're all called to spiritual multiplication. I don't want people to go, oh, that's not for me. I'm not called to be a disciple maker. I'm actually supposed to be this. And I would say, you're wrong. <laughs> I say it's both and. Okay, so no excuses. <laughs> We're all called to be spiritual multipliers. But beyond that, what is your role? How is the Lord calling you specifically to follow him? Have you ever really thought that out for your own life? Ask those questions? I know I haven't always asked those questions of myself. What is the role that I'm to play? And for the longest time, once I did find out what that was, I pushed back real hard against it. Tried to sidestep it every chance I could. So, yeah, like 10 years ago, I was just a Marine, minding my business, going to church. And the pastor at the time was like, hey, man, I think you should preach. And I said, I think you're nuts. (laughs) I had no desire whatsoever to do anything. Like, I'm your number two guy. Like, whatever you need, I'm there, I will help you in every way possible. He's like, no. Nah. No, nah, I, th- I think you ought to preach. Just, just once. We were working on the outline of a series that was coming up. It was actually through John. Funny that it is. I was helping him. He's like, I-, I think you kind of got a gift for this. I was like, no, nah, I'm just pulling stuff out. It's, it's, I mean, you can do it. So he convinces me, finally. I was like, almost me relenting, going, okay, fine, I'll do it just so I can get you off my back. So I prepare a message, it was John chapter 15, um, the, the abiding in me passage, I preached the message, and I enjoyed it, I enjoyed putting it together and communicating, like, talking in front of people is not something that's been challenging to me ever, like, that part of it was like, whatever, no big deal, but then I had, you know, a couple people come up to me and like, oh, man, that was great, good job, and, you know... I'm assuming it's just because I was the new guy and you kind of feel obligated to you know, prop up the new guy. Oh, good job, buddy. <laughs> yeah, now go sit down. <laughs> but something happened in that moment where God began to just unfold my eyes. And again, I really tried hard to avoid that. And he, from that point forward, no matter what, would always call me Pastor Trace. And I hated it. <laughs> I was like, dude, stop calling me that. That's not me. Like, I'm just this dude over here helping you out. Slowly but surely, the Lord just kind of chipped away, chipped away. I became an elder at that church. I started preaching on a regular basis. And wouldn't you know it, that not shortly after that, God brought me into a conversation with a couple of guys that were planting churches outside of military bases all around the world. And that was my call into planting this church. And yeah, Now, I'm not telling you that you're all going to be called to be pastors and ministers of the word of God. That's clearly not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that he has gifted you uniquely to play a role in his kingdom purpose. And he hasn't made it a secret either. Now, sometimes he gives you a little bit at a time, right? Again, 10 years ago, I didn't know that this is where I was going to be, but I was certainly trying to utilize the giftings that I had been given. I was on every worship team of every church we'd ever been a part of across the country. I was helping to lead Bible studies and men's groups and those kinds of things. I was remaining active, trying to at least grow in who I thought I was. But as I look back over my Christian life, I see so clearly how each one of those things was preparing me for where I am today. And so as you look back over your life and you begin to see, okay, Lord, how have you been preparing me? You look inwardly at your gifts. How has he gifted me? What giftings do you have, the Holy Spirit? What does that look like now in employing those things in your pursuit of Jesus, knowing him and making him known? Here's the point. Whether you know with great confidence the role that God has called you to play or you're just now trying to figure it out, he gives you enough To follow him. He gives you enough just to keep taking one step in front of the other. And oftentimes he'll just give you little glimpses or a little push, a little hint in the direction, like, go that way. This is is what I'm preparing for you. So I'd encourage you, do some examination this week. Look back over your Christian walk, whether that's been two weeks or two decades, and see, how has he uniquely gifted me? Am I using those giftings for a purpose in this moment? We each have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Find yours and passionately pursue it. Maybe you're called to be a mother and a homemaker, and that's your primary ministry. Praise God. Embrace it. Grow in it. Serve your family well. Don't grow weary in doing good in what He's called you to be. Passionately pursue it and honor the Lord in how you follow Him. Maybe you're called to be a foreign missionary, a teacher, a coach, an advocate for the homeless, an adoptive family. In some way, He has called you and equipped you To bring glory to himself because whatever the role is that he's called you to be, the end goal is glory to God, just like Peter's life coming to an end and all that he has done in the process is to bring glory to God. And like Peter, sometimes we may get distracted by what others are doing, well, what about that guy? I'd rather be doing that (laughs) or or what about her? I could do that way better than she could. Well, maybe. (laughs) But is that what God has called you to? Here's one way that I think you can know you're on the right track. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. In your following Jesus and passionately pursuing your kingdom role, it will come at a cost. Paul tells us in Romans that we are to present our bodies as a Living sacrifice. You ever thought about that? A living sacrifice. Jesus himself tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There is an element of sacrifice in following after Jesus. And it looks different for every one of us. So don't worry about what the rest of us are doing. Just stay in your lane as you're following Jesus. And remember what the great theologian Ted Lasso once said. (laughs) Taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. There's a challenge before us. And as you're taking it on, it's probably going to be uncomfortable. And that's a real good sign that you're going the direction that he calls you to go. And so as we draw this 11-month journey to a close, remember why John wrote down the whole thing to start with. So that we would believe and have eternal life. That's the whole point of all this. Believe and have eternal life. And as we take that step of faith initially in following after Him, giving our lives to Him, we simultaneously step onto a path that will lead us to a very challenging place as we're following Him. But the Lord gives us, hear me now, everything that we need along the way. He gives us strength for when we're weary. He gives us courage for when we're scared peace for when we're anxious forgiveness for when we fail and joy in our obedience he gives us everything we need to passionately follow after him so remember my friends Christian love is expressed through our action so are you ready for the challenge? are you ready to follow after him where he's called you to go? I pray that you are and I pray that you're just taking one step in that direction. Because it can be frustrating sometimes. You, you feel like maybe you came to faith later in life, and you're like, man, I'm so far behind. I've heard people tell me that. Came to faith in their 50s, like, I'm so far behind everyone else. I was like, dude, no. That's where this comes in perfectly. Like, don't worry about what else is. Stay in your lane. There's people in your life that only you can reach because of the path that God has brought you on. Right? I can't speak into the life of a single mother because I've never been a single mother. I've never you know, had that experience. But y- you might have something because of the path that you've been on where you can speak. So don't worry about what's going around you. Stay in your lane. Do what He's called you to do. Be faithful and realize it will come at a cost. But it's all for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good and so faithful to us that we we can know that you have called us to a life of following you, of loving you and loving others. And yes, Lord, it does come with a price tag at a cost. But no matter the cost, it's worth every bit of it to follow you, to glorify you and to see other people come into a relationship with you to, to walk away from a life of hopelessness and pain and, and suffering unending with no chance of ever experiencing the kind of, of hope that we have in you. Lord, I'm so grateful for this 11-month journey that you've had us on. As we, we see so clearly that this was your plan from the beginning. You knew what we needed in order to be brought back into a relationship with you. And so you sent your son, Jesus, to be, as we read, the propitiation for our sins. The one who stands in our place. The one who takes our punishment And we see the great exchange taking place on the cross. Your perfection and righteousness as you, Jesus, lived a life on this earth, free from sin, making you the only suitable sacrifice. Taking our punishment in our place that we might be brought into relationship with the Father. And as you call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, Lord, we know that it's with a purpose that you call us to love you and love others and to be demonstrating that in our actions and our service and our following of you. So God, equip us, strengthen us, encourage us, lead us in our pursuit of you and of others. Thank you that you first loved us. And that's the reason we're all here in the first place. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in your name, Lord.